Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. Yeah. That's who we are. Yeah, that's who we are. It's how we've been. It's what we do. It's here bringing you another episode uh, about video games. About video games. Yes, that is, that is yes. exactly it. I was <laughs> yes. I was going to try to say something clever. I couldn't think of anything to say. So no, well, that's usually how things are, isn't it? Yes, yeah. I very rarely am clever. <laughs> no, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. Anytime. So, uh, so Zach, what have you been up to this uh, these these fine few days that we haven't talked? Uh, since Sunday, what have you been playing? What I've recently been playing has been Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 Remastered. Did they remaster... Wait, is that the, is it World War 2? Nope. They remastered Modern Warfare oh, 2. Oh, it's more Modern yeah. Warfare 2. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, it, yeah so it, the remastered version came out actually in March of 2020, just before all this COVID stuff happened. And PlayStation, during their PS Plus... Uh, promotion that they do every month. Yes, um, plus it away for promotion. Free. Yeah, so it's, if you have it's a very alliterative, yeah, if you have a, I don't think it's actually called that, but if you have a PS Plus account, <laughs> they give you free games, and I got a free game, um, and it was Modern Warfare Two, the remastered version. So uh, yeah, I, I've been, I've played it already. I've played Modern Warfare Two a couple times now. The story, uh, it's a game. So my thing with the Call of Duty games is I find them to be like watching an action movie. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't ever take the games probably as serious as what someone might take a game like the last of us or like uncharted or something where the you know the storyline you actually want to pay attention to in those games probably but in in call of duty there's i'm not paying attention to the story i'm just i'm just having fun you know blowing stuff up and shooting things you know just doing the doing the the pow pow with the guns it's a it's a it's a it's a very uh, popcorn game as you as you might call it so i've just been enjoying it for the for the for that popcorn element call uh modern warfare 2 in particular though does have some controversies involved um specifically with one mm. level was it the uh, the airport level yes the airport level no russian yes it's it's a it's a rough uh, it's level. a rough rough level yeah um though like the original version of the game that I think actually ended up getting patched to have this feature, Remastered does allow you to skip it. Um, so if you feel uncomfortable playing that level, um, you you are allowed to skip it, and it'll give you a plot summary if you do. Yeah, um, I re- I liked the original Call of Duty story. Yeah, like the OG Call of Duty story. And yeah, then, like the World yeah, War Two ones. Think, yeah, the yeah I feel like that was a really good because the original Call of Duty came out around the same time like everyone was doing World War Two games. Yes, so yeah. it was like Call of Duty, um, Battlefield nineteen forty two, and uh, Medal of Honor. They all had their like own Call of Duty or their own Call of Duty story. They had their own World War Two story. Yeah, and I feel like Call of Duty did a uh, a good retelling of the World War Two story and the theatricizing of it and bringing its own story to it I yeah that did they remaster that one i think they did so right? they they didn't remaster that one but they did do a kind of a, a reboot of the world yeah. war ii game so i think that does have some of the um original like plot points and stuff from the first game i've actually been playing that a little bit as well because that was also free with ps plus last month so oh, playstation plus has just been handing out call of duty games like candy on halloween and i i do like the world war ii it's called call of duty world war ii um it's, it's a pretty good game and that one plays kind of like you're just playing the video game version of saving private ryan like yeah yeah which is yeah that's actually the it's like medal of honors world war ii game 
game, from my memory, is very similar to Saving Private Ryan. Um, and Call of Duty, the first level of Call of Duty and Saving Private Ryan is very similar. Yeah. I, I mean, it's Normandy. There's And Saving, like, that's kind of like, it's a thing that happened. And Saving Private Ryan, I think, is a is like a touch point for a lot of at least, like, designers. Oh, developers. yeah, absolutely. Like, they kind of call to that in regards to, like, recreation of that. So, but I I liked the characters, and I liked doing the missions, and specifically, like, the, the SAS missions that were done yeah, later yeah, on. Yeah, um, I think that was kind of cool. And I liked how you popped around between the American, the Russians, and the British. Yeah, and kind yeah, of see different that. aspects of the yeah, army. kind of get a different worldview, um, if you would. Right, right. Like, the, I think, like, a really, not to go on to Call of Duty, but I really enjoyed the Russian campaign where they had the, um, the Russian commandants, as it were, the, the, the little leader guys, and they would, uh, the commissars, and they, the Russian commissars, and if you retreated the commissars. They shot you, right? They yeah. killed you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. like in, just like in real life. Just like in real life. So, and then, and you also got in, when you voted up the first Russian campaign in the Call of Duty, you were given, uh, everyone was either given a rifle or, or giving the ammo. Or given ammo, and, yeah, yeah. And you, if you died, you, the person who had the ammo would pick up the rifle. And I think you're given ammo in the game and then somebody dies in front of you pretty quick and you grab the rifle and then you reload the rifle with your ammo and you, you like take a train to the front and stuff like that. It's just kind of, I thought it was very iconic um i haven't really i've played i've played on and off other call of duty games but i haven't really i really enjoyed the story of that one as evident but it's not what i've been recently been playing yeah what have you been recently playing so i've recently been playing graveyard keeper which is a, a game that was developed by lazy bear games and was published by tiny build tiny build is a publisher that was founded by some indie developers and they kind of have the objective of publishing indie games uh they brought us um the hello uh, i'm your neighbor Hello, yeah, neighbor. hello, neighbor. Hello, neighbor. <laughs> I'm your neighbor. <laughs> Turned hello, neighbor to some <laughs> Mr. Rogers yeah. horror game, which I guess it is. But um, <laughs> so Graveyard Keeper is published by the same that same studio that published that game in uh, Tiny Build, and they they actually always have like a pretty good showing at PAX too. And Graveyard Keeper came out in 2018, and in this in Graveyard Keeper you play as a guy who came who comes from a different time and place, and when he gets there, he finds out that he is now in charge of the church and the graveyard of the town. He has to rebuild the grave. The graveyard's kind of in disrepair, and he has to rebuild it. He uh, makes friends with a talking skull and goes and works on putting the best graveyard together. Uh, the game is very similar to Stardew Valley, except kind of gothic-themed, and involves... So you get corpses delivered to you by this donkey who's kind of a pain in the butt. You have to then take the corpse, and the corpse slowly decays, as it does, and you have to take it and make sure that it it has positive sins. It's weird. So they all get, like, so many skulls on them, and the skulls may fill, be filled in with red based on how much that person sinned in life. And in order to make sure that your graveyard is of high quality, you need to make sure that they are, I guess, prettied up because 
because you take out and what you like remove their you do like autopsies on them and certain things that you do will remove their sin but other things that you do will add sin so like you can use you can take their blood away or what have you but if you take their flesh away then it adds sin but if you take their blood it, it, you also need these people components for things to craft as well morbid but um they you then also then go bring the body up to the grave and you bury it and then you can decorate it with like a little fence or like with a tombstone and the nicer the grave uh you eventually unlock the church and then you can pretty up your church by adding pews and adding candles and stuff like that and the nicer score that you get combined uh the more money you make because the more people who come to hear your sermons and then because you also become the rector of the um, entire church and stuff. And you eventually have to put on sermons and then you get paid as donations to the church, which then you just use to fund the building more things. You could also not necessarily, uh, if you if a body comes in that's got a lot of sin, you could, and you don't want to bury it, you could also cremate it, or you could just throw it in the river where it will go to somewhere else. Uh, overall, it's a, a fun game. It's got that game style of like one more day type situation because the only way you can save is if you rest and kind of push the game on to another day. You also have an energy bar that depletes as you do things. And so you have to rest to replenish the game. And the only way to save the game is if you rest or else it resets to the last day that you rested. Um, so in different days have different things that happen on them so like on certain days you can only conduct a sermon on so it also has that kind of aspect as well to it where you may be waiting for a certain day to come for an event to trigger but overall it's a it's a pretty fun crafty type game where you're collecting resources and uh, upgrading and modifying a location but instead of a farm it is a graveyard so yeah that's a uh, graveyard keeper huh uh, that sounds fun I'll have to check it out because I believe I have a copy of it now. That's true. So for this episode, we are going to talk about Lego games. Lego! Which is a toy that you can, that are bricks and you can make things and structures out of in case anyone's not aware of what a Lego is. And Seth is a big Lego fan. I am a I am a, a AFOL, an adult fan of Legos, and it's a thing. I, I believe you. Legos are great. Uh, we are specifically in this podcast going to be talking about Lego games, and specifically Lego games that we owned as children, so that would be games that came out in the 90s. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, and early 2000s, I think, is one game. Or No, I, I think every game came out in, nine, in the 90s. One game had a port that came out in the 2000s so yes all of the games starting in uh the not in in the 90s late 90s i'll give it that but yeah. uh yeah so uh zach you want to give us a little uh history on legos yeah so i'm gonna keep this as an abbreviated history because this is not a lego podcast but i we will talk a little bit about the history of lego for anyone who who's not aware of the history so lego began life as a woodworking shop initially um owned by a man named Ol kirk 
Christensen. I'm probably butchering that name terribly. Um, and he lived in Billund, Denmark. And now uh, Christensen uh, initially was, uh, you know, just doing woodworking and such. Um, during the Great Depression, though, he found some new life in shifting his focus to creating miniatures of assorted things. So he made miniature step ladders, miniature ironing boards, miniature furniture. The reason being is he found that they were really useful for people who were into designing. Um, they could look at these miniatures and, you know, be able to draft and get ideas of, of new of new designs. What he did notice, though, were that these, these miniatures were toy-like. And he decided that he was going to go into toys. So he evolved into the production of toys. And then Lego began to grow larger and larger. In 1947, plastics became readily available throughout Denmark after the war. And Lego purchased its first plastic injection molding machine. And they got this idea that was heavily inspired by an already existing product, which was called the Kittycraft Self-Locking Bricks, to create these toys, uh, toy bricks that you could click together and lock. And Lego created a line of product that they refer to as the automatic binding bricks. In 1958, the Lego company patented a new design and several similar designs that eventually evolved into what we know as the popular plastic Lego pieces that are still around to this day and are still patented to this day. Um, and Lego really did like patent everything under the sun. They like any design that you could think of as a potential competitor to Lego, they patented it, and it's in their in their patent. <laughs> you know, just to that's be right. safe. Um, and specifically, it's the um, the cylinder that's underneath. So there's you can make a plastic brick, but a plastic brick with a little cylinder underneath that allows you to bind to the other one. That's the Lego patent, and and that I believe. I, I know it's still there is some there are some things where people are now allowed to do a little bit with those though I think they're less aggressive toward toward like Lego like products I know they were more aggressive back a while ago I think there was a lawsuit with things like Mega Blocks and such but they they they've I think lessened that over the years. So in 1995, Lego began to experiment with the world of video games. And the first Lego game that was actually made was a game called Lego Fun to Build, and it was for the ill-fated Sega Pico system. And the Sega Pico was a very child-friendly video game system. It was almost similar to... Uh, it's even... Some people even argue if it's really a video game system because it was more akin to an interactive storybook all the cartridges came in these they looked like books that had like you know the cardboard pages and they had a cartridge slot at the bottom and you stuck it into this thing that looked like a laptop and that plugged into your tv and it would play some really rudimentary games and you'd have to turn the page for each each level um so lego fun to build was for the, the pico system didn't do super hot I mean, the Pico as, as a whole did not sell very well here in America. However, in 1997, it kind of gave birth to what I call the golden age of Lego games. This is my own words. This is not the official like Lego canon, but I refer from 1997 to about 2005 as the golden age of Lego games. And this is when Lego released around 22 or so games in their brand across a variety of consoles developed by a variety of developers, uh, pretty much if you were a developer in the, that time period, you may have made a Lego game. Uh, in 2005, Lego shifted focus. They, they wanted to kind of focus more on their IP brand-based games. So their Harry Potter, their Star Wars, their Indiana Jones, their the Marvel licensed products. IPs. Yeah. And as such, Lego Star Wars was the kind of first big game of this new line of Lego games that was developed by Traveler's Tales. And really from 2005 onward, Traveler's Tales became the 
pretty much primary developer for Lego games. Um, there's a couple other companies that have gotten involved. Warner Brothers, I think, did a couple Lego games for the Nintendo systems, like Nintendo DS. But for the most part, Traveler's Tales has been involved in the Lego games since 2005 and to this day. Um, their most One of their more recent games, I know, was Lego Dimensions, which I believe um, actually just... Um, just ended life in terms of the servers and such but they are in 2020 this year they're supposed to be releasing the lego star wars skywalker saga which is going to combine all nine movies into one epic lego adventure uh so uh lego is actually an abbreviation of two danish words uh legot meaning play well which is their uh it's their name and their ideal so that's kind of what uh that's where lego the name from Lego stem, stems from. So in uh, 1997, Lego uh, went out and reached out to Mindscape Studios and had Lego Island uh, developed and published by Mindscape. So since this was 97, their first game that they made was 95, which was on the Sega Pico system that didn't do well. Lego kind of wanted to kind of go with a developer and publisher of video games that knew what they were doing. Uh, Lego at this time didn't have their own uh, video game division, so they wanted to see what they could do with reaching out to a non-Lego group. Yeah. So they reached out to Mindscape. Yeah. Um, so it was the only game that uh, Mindscape developed for Lego, and Lego Island um, puts you in the role of many characters in the Lego universe. And these are, once again, Lego properties. So they're the, the Pepperoni, Mama and Papa, Brickaloni, uh, Laura Brick, and Nick Brick. Every character had a unique ability. I'm not sure what those abilities were. From my memory of playing this game that I owned, I maybe because Pepperoni had the ability to go on a skateboard, Papa Brickaloni was like the pizza guy, and I think he could throw pizzas. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, something like that. And it wasn't Nick Brick. Nick Brick was, was the cop. He was a, he was, he was a police officer. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he had the ability to arrest people. <laughs> um, and you play the game through various mini games that are themed around each of the individual characters. What happens is that there's really only like one main story, as it were. You can kind of visit everybody. You can go to the different um, places. You can build your own like Lego car and stuff and take it out and design things. Um, but at one point in time, if, when you're playing as Pepperoni, he is a delivery boy for his parents who are the mama and the papa Brickaloni. and at some point in time the brickster who is a criminal he pretends to be a police officer and pretends to be nick brick and calls and places an order for a pizza to be delivered to the pe to the police station this pizza is very hot and he uses it to like melt himself out of the pizza yeah or the prison he he puts so he somehow like snuck jalapenos i think into his yeah yep. jail cell and he like pulls jalapenos out from nowhere and puts them on the pizza and then uses his quote-unquote dragon breath to open the door yeah 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 so he blows fire from his jalapeno pizza that he got from he convinced pepperoni to deliver to him he escapes uh, the the game is a fun semi-open world where so 
semi-open world being that it is an open world. You can go anywhere you want. It's just not a very big open world. Uh, so there's like uh, four streets and six buildings. <laughs> it has uh, some, it's fully voice acted. There's fun sound effects. And there is also an Easter egg in the game where a pirate will tell you how to control the game better than how you're controlling the game currently. Yeah. So what happens is if you go to like the secret tunnel and knock on a door, you'll hear a pirate voice. And at first he tells you to go away. And then if you knock on it again, he's like, did you know that if you hold down the mouse button, you can travel the island more easy? And it's like, cool, you just told me how to control this game better than I was, apparently. (laughs) There were a lot of development issues with Lego Island. Uh, The biggest that the... So there was an issue with how the thing was developed. So if... A, a, in the 90s, if a development team was able to release a video game to fruition and were on the staff at the time that the game was released, they would get a bonus for the project. So Mindscape didn't want to pay the entire development team a bonus for the project of Lego Island. So the day before, this is uh, according to an interview with Wes Jenkins, who's the creative director of Lego. A, a day before Lego Island was released, Mindscape laid off the entire development team, making sure that nobody got their bonuses. Yeah, and I'm fairly certain the reason they only did it the day before is because if they did it on the day of, they would still have to have paid the bonuses because they had to work through the launch date. So, <laughs> like really crappy thing to do of a company but yeah that's and that's according to Wes Jenkins who was the the creative director for that the project right and Wes Jenkins ended up actually he though he did not work with Mindscape in the future he did end up going to work with Lego in the future and later worked with the Lego group on other projects and um he he also was taken advantage of when he was at Mindscape where there was another employee taking his work as their own so uh but Wes moved on from Mindscape which sounded like a good thing yeah Mindscape based on what we know of Mindscape they're a bunch of dicks (laughs) (laughs) that's a classic Uh, gaming brother endorsed message (laughs) it's a classic gaming brother endorsed message the uh, the thing is, um, I I definitely have some fond memories of Lego Island, uh, including designing a race car that you got to race around a uh, racetrack. Yeah, uh, I think you could do like a like a Formula One race where it had the lights and going, and then it would you drive off. It yeah, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a it was a fun game. I watched it actually at some friends of our family who actually were the same people who I watched Command and Conquer at. Uh, they also had Lego Island, and I was enamored with it when watching them play it. So then we bought it, probably years later, from seeing it. But it was a, it was a fun game. It was a good, it was a good Lego game. Was it the best Lego game? Eh, yes. But it was. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So next up is uh, in 1998, Lego Loco came out. Lego Loco was developed by Intelligent Games and published by Lego Media. So Lego Loco, um, this is another game that Seth and I owned. I think Seth might have played it more than I did, but we definitely we definitely owned it. And it was an open-ended construction game where the objective of the game was to build a Lego town. Um, it was the inaugural game, in the first game published by Lego's uh, own publishing arm, Lego Media. And Lego Media kind of became the, the standard for for Lego games going forward. Um, they had a they had a really cool logo where like when the game started up. 
Lego bricks fell from the the heavens and arranged themselves into the Lego logo, which is this red logo with the words Lego written in, in white. And it has this really nostalgic sound uh, that I'll probably put in at the beginning of this episode. But yeah, so the game was definitely targeted toward a younger demographic. And beyond building a Lego town in different areas such as uh, desert, snow, and grass, there's really no objectives or resources or anything to manage. Uh, It's not like SimCity or like... Um, really any of those other like city construction games where you have to manage um, you know the happiness of the population and the in the money that is bringing in and the like pollution levels it's really kind of just like build a city and watch it go <laughs> you know there's also a, an aspect of the game where you can essentially paint your own lego assets and in addition to that there were these fun easter eggs such as if you set the time to a different holiday um, such as halloween or christmas the game would theme the itself to be that holiday so there'd be like christmas trees and decorations around town and halloween stuff around town you could also rename any building and watch lego people go about the town so if you if you are watching the game you'll see these little lego minifigs that are like really tiny wandering around town you can actually click on them and they make weird noises and scream at you and stuff you can click on them you can put a magnifying glass up to everything you could pick them up and drop them down on some other things but it was a a fun game uh, especially for a child and especially for a younger child where you may not want to have like an objective or like things to you just want to have the child interact with something it's it's, and be creative and i mean which is i mean at the end of the day lego local kind of represents lego as a company which is why they put the game out uh legos are about the journey of the build versus the trying to get the build done in a certain time or the objective of the build it's all about having fun building in uh 98 uh, lego creator was uh put out uh developed by superscape and published once again by lego media Uh, lego creator was a construction game that aimed to be uh, an evergreen version of the toys uh so instead of uh having you were just able to build legos but they were digitized so they were just like just regular uh like you but you could build sets together ultimately however the game shifted focus from a freeform building game to a limited build environment uh so that you weren't allowed to just build whatever you wanted you kind of had to build within some constraints uh the game has no missions no objectives no challenges or no money it was also the first lego video game to um, mix in uh, licenses, uh, having two sequels that were themed on the Harry Potter franchise. Uh, we owned Lego Creator Harry Potter, and it did not run successfully. I remember trying to get it to run a few times, and it would just consistently crash, or like it would freeze up, and I wouldn't be able to do anything in the game. <laughs> yeah, so it, it was a, a fun game, but I, I feel like Lego Loco maybe gave you more freedom to do things than lego creator yeah i think lego creator was an ambitious game um but maybe a little too ambitious for the time i i feel like with 98 coming around everyone was kind of on the let's put everything on computers and the internet and the digital world and if you didn't do it you were left behind and i feel like lego creator was clearly lego's attempt to do this they were like we are never going to be able to sell legos ever again because the only thing people are going to buy are video games we need to make legos into a video game so they made lego creator and 
and I'm pretty sure that's exactly what happened. And it was an okay game. And so 1999, Lego Racer was released, developed by High Voltage Software and published by Lego Media. Lego Racer, as the name implies, is a racing game with Legos. Um, it was released on Microsoft Windows, N64, PlayStation, and there was a port that was made for the Game Boy Color by Climax Studios. I, th- I think I've actually almost played every version of this game besides the Game Boy Color port. And the Good. plot follows... It's a great game. Uh, which is very a very me thing. <laughs> like... <laughs> just to own random copies of Lego racers. So yeah. the the plot follows racers as they challenge the current reigning champion of this Grand Prix um, named Rocket Racer. And he's kind of this uh, spacey looking like he actually looks like he's wearing like an F1 race outfit, but he has like a rocket. He has a car that has like rocket engines on it. In your path stands a variety of Lego characters uh, based on different characters that the Lego universe had already kind of established in their sets. So there was, for example, Basil the Batlord, who was part of the kind of Lego gothic themed sets that they were putting out. There was also Johnny Thunder, um, who was a definitely not a knockoff of Indiana Jones. Um, there was also like a pirate, Pirate Redbeard, who was uh, a set at the time he came with the you know pirate ship and such. So the game is a kart racer. It's not really like this isn't like Burnout. It's akin to more of like mario kart versus like uh, fast and the furious or something um you collect power-ups that assist you and um some of the power-ups included rockets there was some speed power-ups there was like traps that you could drop that would uh spin out um you know uh the the player so one of my favorite power-ups specifically was if you charged up the speed power-up you got this ability to warp through like time and space and you can skip a huge chunk of the of the map and uh this had its perks and it had its cons so the perks were were if you're really good at the game you could actually time it so that every time you use the warp you get blasted to an area where you pick up the necessary boosts and the speed jump uh, the speed thing again and just keep using the warp and and that's what people will do is they'll like speed run this game by like timing it perfectly so they're just constantly warping by collecting the necessary items the quickest way and they'll end up like lapping all of the characters constantly which i think is just hilarious it also breaks the game sometimes if you warp in the wrong place it will sometimes spit you out in the wrong direction of the map or sometimes it will spit you out in a like secret passage in the map and it might kind of disorient you overall it was fun i liked the n64 version i we did also have the pc version i think i eventually played the playstation version as i mentioned the one thing i also remember about the pc version is there was a cheat called fly sky high and if you named one of your characters fly sky high it would make every character in the game have massive rocket engines that would like make their car fly through the map wicked fast but everyone Perfect. had it and it was like a disaster Perfect. i remember that like vaguely yeah we should um we should try and stream it during uh extra life yeah yeah, I, I still have an N64 copy, so we could stream the N64 copy for sure. The fun things about these games, because they came out in the 90s, they used 90-themed Legos, because uh, if you're not familiar with how Legos release things Lego releases sets and themes so there'll be an overarching theme that will where all the sets will nest under so there may be a space theme and there'll be a number of space sets underneath it or uh, 
Um, I have a like a Monster Hunter theme, yeah. and there's a bunch of Monster Hunter sets underneath it. The thing with Lego, though, is that they also discontinue themes, which is why what makes Legos valuable at the end of the day, because they discontinue themes and they tend not to bring them back. So if somebody really wants a specific theme from a specific year, they have to pay premium to get it yeah. for the sets specifically. But with games that came out in the 90s, they use 90 themes, which is where Basil the Batlord and Johnny Thunder came from. So Basil the Batlord actually came from a castle theme, and he was a fun night guy with like crazy batwing helmet. Uh, Johnny Thunder came from the adventure theme, and the adventure theme is my favorite, the personal favorite theme. I love the adventure theme. It's very Indiana Jones theme. Uh, there's like a very, like Egyptian sets and stuff like that. Uh, Johnny Thunder actually goes on forward to do uh, Dinos and Jungles, two different themes, and uh, has more adventures going forward. But yeah, so and then I believe um, the pirate is um, Redbeard, who is a Lego with a peg leg and a hook, and because he's a pirate, you see, and he's he's Redbeard because he has a red beard, and he is was in the one of the original pirate sets, as it were. And they relaunched, they relaunched the pirate themes, different different sets, but similar theme because it's a very popular theme recently and i think he's back so you can have a red beard i think i have a red beard floating around here somewhere i always liked johnny thunder too because he was definitely not indiana jones he's definitely not indiana jones and he had they had great villains he had like the top hat villain yes um um, there's baron von baron baron von baron (laughs) baron von baron (laughs) and he had the, the like crazy professor guy yeah very much not indiana jones with um his father as it were but uh, so there is uh the last game that we're going to talk about with legos that because they were the these are the games that we owned uh was uh, lego rock raiders which was a game that came out in 1999 it was uh developed by a company called data design interactive and published by lego media the game was released on the pc and then about a year later was released on the playstation uh the game on the pc was very akin to uh like a dungeon keeper style or even like evil genius uh where you it's a base building game uh you you build your base and you have to mine rocks or energy crystals and you have to fend off attacks from rock monsters and it was a directional base building game so it was done through selecting things you wanted your lego people to interact with and then they would go off and work on it such as mining building etc and so you have to manage how many lego people you have or else you can't do all the tasks that you want done and then every mission would be graded based on a criteria uh in the mission and you would get a a rating uh the game actually had multiple endings so if you beat the game just through the campaign which did not require you to beat every mission uh you would get one ending and then you would get the quote-unquote good ending if you beat the campaign and beat every mission at like 100 percent. so then you'd get the better ending or the good ending i guess it was fun. It was uh, it was called Rock Raiders. It was based on the Rock Raider set, which was a set where they mined rocks. It was a sweet set. They yeah, they had um, big rock monsters, and they had um, ships that had like drill bits on it. Uh, I feel like it came out very similarly around Atlantis. 
as well. So Lego is very good with like theming up things with popular stuff that's coming out just because they're Lego and they they read the newspaper as it were. Um, the game that came out a year later, uh, which was called Lego Rock Raiders for the PlayStation was different. <laughs> It was not the game that came out for the PC. It released for the PlayStation, and that's the PlayStation 1. And in the PlayStation 1 game, you controlled a singular character instead of building a base. And you were designated to explore different caves. And an interesting fact is that the NTSC and the PAL version... And Zach, can you go into what the difference between NTSC and PAL is? Yeah, so NTSC and PAL um, are, are actually two different... Briefly explain them, they're two different encoding types. So NTSC is the National Television System Committee, and PAL is the uh, phase alternating line, both of which are color encoding systems used on analog television systems so the way the analog tv works is it's done through like scan lines and stuff like that and ntsc does one form of scan lines and pal does another form of scan lines uh the reason for these variants is because of regions so ntsc was primarily found in united states canada mexico japan and pal was most of the rest of the world most of europe uses pal um, there is another type of analog encoding called CCAM, which was more found in Russia um, and parts of Africa, actually. Um, but majority of the world used uh, use either PAL or NTSC. Um, there's also a thing with uh, wattage. So a lot of parts of the world have different wattages in terms of the, the you know, actual outlets in the wall so a lot of pal systems are made to run at a different wattage so thus you know like a pal sega genesis is going to run differently than a, a an american sega genesis in terms of just the general speed because if it's drawing less energy it needs to compensate somehow which is interesting in, in its own right i mean a lot of people will tell you that like playing sonic uh, in in europe was a different experience than playing it in, in america just for that difference um pal and NTSC are kind of dated terms at this point. Almost all video standards are now in this new format called ATSC, which is for digital standard. Sometimes people still use NTSC and PAL to refer to the actual regions. So usually if you hear it in gaming, someone refers to a PAL game, it's usually referring to a European release. If they're referring to an NTSC game, they're referring to a North American or a Japanese release. Thank you for that. Um, so the, the PAL version, well, so the and each version came with 18 campaign missions and six multiplayer missions. And this multiplayer was couch multiplayer since the PlayStation didn't have internet connectivity. Well, at least PlayStation 1 at least. But each one was different. So the 18 campaign missions and the six multiplayer missions for NTSC were different missions than the PAL missions. The PAL missions, also, the PAL version also received three bonus single-player missions, and 12 additional multiplayer maps after the campaign was finished. The 12 additional camp additional maps were from the single-player mission, but they still received 12 additional maps that they could play multiplayer in, and also three bonus single-player missions. I'm wondering if it's because Denmark is in PAL, <laughs> and this was published by Lego Media, which is based in Denmark. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, 
We do have Denmark listeners, so we do love you. So, And Denmark listeners, if you played the Lego Rock Raiders game in the 1990s, write us in and tell us how awesome those missions were. Yeah, and, and we, we will send you... Zach, do you still have our copy of Rock Raiders? We can send it to somebody in Denmark. We could send it to somebody in Denmark who could play the ntsc version well we had the the pc version of denmark but i'll go find i'll go find the playstation version out there good zachary will find the playstation ntsc version and we will ship it to you in denmark if you send us an email (laughs) so so that's uh that's gonna be our lego episode do you uh do you want to talk about is it really that bad yes Seth. so my is it really that bad i wanted to keep it in theme and my is it really that bad is Lego Island 2. So I loved oh. Lego Island growing up. Uh, it was a, a very, very nostalgic game for me. Even though uh, when it came out, I was only four. <laughs> but uh, uh, we definitely, I definitely played it. And, and I, I love it. I love Lego Island 2. Uh, Lego Island 1. I specifically remember actually when I got my first laptop, the first thing I did was install Lego Island on it so I could play Lego Good. Island outside. Lego Island 2 came out in 2001, and we also owned a copy of it. It was developed by Silicon Dream Studio, and the game is kind of a follow-up on the original plot of Lego Island. So you play this time as only Pepper Roni, um, and he gives a pizza to the Brickster again, and the pe- Brickster uses that pizza to escape again. <laughs> Pepper has not learned the errors of his ways. Instead, he lives in ignorance for his future. So yeah, Pepper's kind of an idiot. Uh, what's that? I said Pepper's kind of an idiot. Pepper is Pepper's a dumbass. <laughs> Pepper is an idiot. The whole sequence of the game is is Pepper goes to, you know, Mama and Papa's pizza shop and they're like, "Hey Pepper, we got a phone call from uh from the prison. They're saying uh, you know, bring a pizza over to the Brickster." And Pepper's like, sounds good. And then he goes over there and is just like, yeah, this seems not weird. And gives the pizza to the Brickster. And the Brickster uses it to escape. And so the Brickster escapes and then he steals this thing called the Constructopedia. Now the Constructopedia is what is effectively the Lego God. It is a book that if you destroy it, will destroy the buildings on Lego Island. (laughs) So, like, the Brickster starts ripping pages out of this book, and all of the buildings on Lego Island are, like, exploding into pieces, because, apparently, this one book controls their fate. On a note, though, the Infomaniac, who is a side character in these games, and he's, like, mayor of Lego Island or something, he wears, like, a red uniform and can fly, is definitely seen sleeping at his desk in front of the Constructopedia when the Brickster steals it. So, despite this thing having immense power, it is not well protected. This thing is like, this thing is like plopped on the desk and the dude's like, dude's fast asleep. So now it's up to Pepper, who is apparently the only person on this entire island who can stop the Brickster and collect the missing pages um, of the uh, Constructopedia. And by doing this, he has to travel to different worlds and participate in mini games. I also think it's interesting that Pepperoni is the only person that can apparently do this because it is canon in the Lego Island universe that there is a superhero. I forget his name, and I think he's definitely the Infomaniac just wearing a mask, but... He flies. So, is it really that bad? Eh. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think the best way to describe this game is it's just an odd type of sequel to Lego Island, which already was a weird game. But overall, it's not terrible, at least from my memory. I haven't played it in a while. Um, I do remember not enjoying the fact that there was a lack of characters to choose from. You could only play as Pepperoni. Um, and you also aren't allowed to 
build things, which is weird for a Lego game. I mean, in the first Lego Island, you could kind of construct like your car or your not your car, but you can construct like the helicopter you fly in at one point or your jet ski. In this game, you do have jet skis and helicopters, but you don't build them. They just are there. If you click on them, sometimes they'll change color, but that's not that exciting as like actually putting the bricks together and, you know, making something that's unique. It was longer than the first game, so I'll give it that. And the graphics are definitely improved. It's in third person as opposed to first person, so that's kind of a, a, a twist. Also, the box did come with a miniature of the Brickster. Um, it was a keychain, and I probably still have it somewhere. I don't know where, but I am I'm that kind of person that usually has crap like that just hanging around overall not a great game not really a bad game just kind of a game ign said that the gbc version the game boy color version was strictly average which i'm going to rate lego island for the pc strictly average well lego island 2 lego island 2 for the pc so that is my is it really that bad my is that is it really that bad is going to be in my theme my personal theme that i've established for this podcast is going to be XCOM interceptor developed by microprose in 1998 it was the last strategy game that Microprose developed uh, under the XCOM banner, since the game that they developed afterwards was XCOM Enforcer, and that is not a strategy game. This time, instead of being set on Earth or in a city, as the previous games were set, it is set in space. The game has a strategy section where you manage a base, very similar to how you manage bases in previous XCOM games. Uh, however, instead of being a base on the ground, being that it's in space, it is a space station. So you manage different sections, like you build off the space station instead of building new rooms. Uh, you have to manage your resources like all previous games. So you have to buy, sell, research, hire, fire. You have to manage your, down to your ammunition. And then instead of deploying like a squadron or like in a like a top-down view like the previous games have... It's a first-person dogfighting game. So then you go off and you have space dogfights where you engage in the aliens and you get to fly your um, cockpit. Uh, you get to be in the cockpit of a ship and you fly off with all your wingmen and wingwomen and engage in dogfighting. Um, it's cool because you get, depending on the ships that you buy, gets to be in what the ships that you fly in. So you don't get like you don't, you don't get like the same ship every time. And in the cockpit of the different ships are like little like I break for sectoids and sectoids is a an alien or like like a little bobblehead or something like they decorate the inside of the cockpit, which I think is always fun. There are various mission types in the game, though, uh, albeit they get recycled. There is uh, the uh, you attack an alien base or you defend your own base, you guard a transport or you recover some artifact. Uh, and you and you do these ad nauseum until the end of the game. Um, eventually, and I mentioned this into our XCOM episode, which is a great episode to listen to. It is one of our I mid episodes. I don't know. It's like somewhere in the teens. It is relatively early. People love it though. It's great. You should down. You should listen to it after this episode, where you get a, uh, a Nova torpedo. Uh, you eventually get a, a torpedo that, in and how you use it, you lodge it into a sun, and it blows up like the galaxy, but not our galaxy, some other galaxy. Uh, it is very good for wiping out aliens. So the aliens came and said they're they're going to wipe out Earth. So we responded with wiping out their galaxy. I the things that I really enjoyed in the game were the uh, 
chatter that you got while dogfighting, including the chatter from the aliens would come over and they would like taunt you, but they spoke alien, so you didn't understand them. So people have issues with it, which is why it's uh, in our is it really that bad segment. There were people that have issues with the game, um, mostly because it doesn't really work on modern systems. It's also dated, but people also rated that it was confusing and or boring. Ten-year-old Seth really loved this game. Um, and I played it when it came out. I was also taken aback because it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. But is it really that bad? No, it's not really that bad. Would I recommend it if you're looking for a space dogfighting game? No, probably not. Would I recommend it if you were a diehard XCOM fan that loved everything about the series? Probably already played it back in 98 like I did or have already played it post that if you're a younger XCOM fan and love XCOM I would recommend you play the first and the second XCOM games first once you eventually get to the end of those you'll be like my age and you'll be able to appreciate <laughs> and be able to play uh XCOM Interceptor at that time I, I mean truthfully play whatever you want um it's very the style of the game is very wing commander-esque and takes a lot from wing commander which was a popular dogfighting space simulator type game that was released around the same time that it was released um also you there's also big like x-wing and tie fighter type of vibes with it it's very much that 90s space dogfighting game it's what it is except XCOM themed uh so that's gonna be our episode for today in regards to lego games let me explain to you now how you can listen to us support us or contact us so you can listen to us on any number of podcasting apps we're available on most of them um stitcher spotify uh, google play itunes even your alexa I don't know if you can ask the Google to do it, but probably. Uh, so you could just uh, look us up, Classic Gaming Brothers. Um, if you are listening to us on one particular service and you don't want to listen to us on it anymore, and you want to listen to us on another service, let us know, and we'll try to get us on. We will try to get on that service if we're not already on that service. Um, we're trying right now to get on Pandora. There are some other ones that have not been released yet that we are trying to get on too, because apparently we get asked to be put on stuff. That's how you can listen to us. You can support us by listening to us. We like the listens. Uh, you can like our thing if the method that you're listening to us has a way to like it. You can follow us. You can rate us if you want to give us a review. That's great. Um, reviews are helpful. You can also support us if you so desire. You can buy merchandise that we have. We have a t-shirt and a coffee mug. Uh, finally, you can contact us by sending us an email. Uh, you can send the email to classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com or you can go to our website, www.classicgamingbrothers.com and use the contact form and send a contact form through that way. Zach, do you have anything else to say? Don't play games like my brother. And don't play games like my brother. I've been Zach. And I've been Seth. And we've been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. That's right. Didn't the Brickster have his own theme song? I don't know. I was going to put in the... Doop, there's like... Doop, doop. <laughs> there's <laughs> like a... Brickster theme song. There's like this one song that was like, Lay, lay, Lego. Lay, lay, Lego. Yeah, but the Brickster definitely had like a theme song that you got to put in. Mm-hmm.